All right, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you today. You made it through another week. Come on, you're alive. You did it. You're still here. God's still good. There's still hope. Well done. I, I want to talk to you today about the power of serving others. I remember when my daughter was little. She's like three years old. And um, she got into this phase that all kids pretty much get into where everything was about what she wanted. <laughs> May still be in that phase. But anyway, so three years old, I, you know, I, I want my blanket. I want my pacifier. I want a snack. I want my toy. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And finally one day she's sitting there and she said, Dad, I want my toy. And I said, well, go, where's your toy? She says, it's upstairs in my room. I'm like, well, march yourself upstairs to your room and get it. She says, but my tummy hurts and I'm tired. Will you get it for me? And I said, okay. So I got up and I can still remember this vividly. As I'm walking away, I whispered under my breath. I said, I'll get it for you because it's all about you. And she heard me. Three years old, she smiled real big and she said, that's right, dad. It's all about me. Just make sure you get your facts right. Now, it's interesting because that's how we act when we're three. But if I'm honest, sometimes I can still be a three-year-old. Anybody feel me right here? Like, like, it's really easy to make life about me, about my needs and my desires and my ego, and my pride and my feelings, and my happiness and my stuff. You know, it's, it's hard to not make life about you sometimes. And I think that's a real, and, and, and you know, I, I even did this in ministry in a, in a way that wasn't unhealthy. I went and sat down with a spiritual director and um, spent a few days with him and I was burned out. I was really tired and and he had me talk for one day, like just, just endlessly, asked me all kinds of questions. And then the next day I came in, and I didn't realize he was going to do this, but he wrote some of the quotes that I said up on a whiteboard. So he was working me the whole day before, and I wasn't aware. One of the quotes that I said multiple times was this, I can do it on my own with God. He said, Judd, you said this like three times, that exact thing. And he said, you know, you only put with God on there because you're a pastor. He said, that's just like faith speak. So he said, we're going to mark that off. And he says, this is your operating system. I can do it on my own. In other words, you've made it all about you. Your ability to make decisions, your ability to take care of people, your ability to lead, your ability to teach, your ability. He says, you made it all about you. And that's why you're in my office burned out, right? Because pretty quickly you come to the end of yourself. Even good things, you can bend and make them about you. And it's easy to do. People say you have to look out for number who? Number one, right? You got you to gotta get yours because nobody's going to give you anything, right? If you don't stand up for yourself, people will walk all over you. Nice guys finish when? last. So life can start to feel like it's all about survival. It's this battle that needs to be met. It's me versus them. It's me versus my spouse. It's, it's me versus my employer. You know? It, you know, it's me versus those people. And the rule sort of seems to be, if you want to make it in life, you got to make it all about you. 
My job's all about me. My relationships are all about me. My free time is all about me. My money is all about me. My goals, well, they're all about me. And that may seem like a good strategy. It may even seem like the only strategy. But the problem with making life all about you is that eventually you're the only one left in your life. And nobody wants that. And so I think the Bible has a word for this me-focused, me-centric approach to life. It's the word foolishness. It's foolishness. But we've all been foolish, haven't we? (laughs) We've all been foolish. The good news is Jesus loves us even in our foolishness. We've been in this teaching series called Jesus Loves. We're talking about how he loves us in in my mess. Jesus loves me in my pain. He loves me in my doubt. He loves me in my insignificance. Today, I want to talk to you about how he loves me even in my foolishness. You know, Jesus' disciples, his core friends, his posse, his tribe, they did some foolish things too. In fact, one point, uh, Matthew chapter 20 tells us about a moment when Jesus, he's go to, headed to Jerusalem. He's in the final phase of his, of his life and ministry. He tells his disciples he's going to be crucified and then he's going to rise again. And they, you know, they don't really know what to do with all that. And, and, and ultimately, they start kind of arguing over who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom when he kind of gets there. They sort of miss the whole point. And at one point, there's this scene in Matthew chapter 20 where James and John, two brothers, They send their mom to go like, you know, um, basically politic Jesus for power on their behalf. So here's what we see. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 21. Uh, I'm going to read this. The way we do this is central. When I get to the red word, everybody say it real loud. It's just how we make sure everybody's awake. But here's here's what it says. So she replied, um, this is the mom, James and John's mom to Jesus. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of what? places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on the left. So these dudes sent their mom in to kind of juice on Jesus in this moment to say like, hey man, come on, make my kids the most powerful kids in your kingdom. Like they didn't even have the guts to do it themselves. Hey mom. And if you sat Jesus left and sat at Jesus right, you'd be the most powerful people in the kingdom, the most influential people in the kingdom. And Jesus basically answers and he says to them, you don't know what you're asking, right? You you don't know what you're talking about. The reality is the disciples of Jesus kind of had it backwards in this moment. In many ways, they were worried about who was going to be the greatest in God's kingdom. That's a very me-centered approach. Like his kingdom's about you. Like it's about your honor and your influence and your position and your power, right? Your ego and your happiness and your like, like they thinking it's all about me and Jesus is going to challenge them to realize that life is simply not all about us. And if you want a greater life. you got to live for a greater purpose than just yourself. So I want to talk to you today about how we can all live greater lives beyond the foolishness of just making everything about ourselves. The first way we can do that is to simply live for God's glory. 
Live for God's glory. I don't know, you guys, I don't know if you, if you can remember, if you did sports at all or anything like that, but I can remember as a kid the first time I played football with full pads on, like the first time I went to a practice that was tackle football. I always thought I'd be an amazing football player. I always, uh, I grew up watching the Dallas Cowboys. Come on, somebody. You know, like, like, and back then in the dark ages before cell phones and all that, like Tony Dorsett was the man, and the Cowboys used to win Super Bowls alone long, 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 long time ago. Most of you weren't even born yet, but they used to win Super Bowls. I'm just saying, back in the day, it was a thing. So I want to be Tony Dorsett as a little kid, you know, and I remember I went on the practice field and I put all the pads on. And I've been playing football since I could walk, you know, with, in the neighborhood, in the yard, the sandlot, wherever I could, right? And so I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And I remember the first day of practice, I got destroyed. These guys were twice my size. I was young, just stepping into that grade at school and, you know, kind of just stepping out on the team. I remember walking off the field after the first day of practice. I could remember it vividly. I had my helmet in my hand and my head was throbbing. I had a headache. I had blood on my arm. My whole body hurt. I was aching. And I remember thinking like, I thought I knew what this game was about, but this is a whole different level, right? This is a whole different thing. And I think that's how it often is in our lives. We think we know a lot of things that we just don't know. You see somebody that's successful and you think you want that success, but you have no idea what it costs them to get there. And you have no idea what it costs them to stay there. Jesus is looking at these disciples who are like, hey man, make me like your number two and your number three. And I think he's partially thinking, you have no idea what that's going to cost. You have no idea what that's going to feel like. And then he breaks it down this way. Matthew chapter 20, verse 22. Look at what he says. He says, are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Jesus just told him he's going to be crucified. He's going to rise again. You know, when he was crucified, think about this. There was somebody on his left and somebody on his right. Hello, on crosses. You want some of that? He says, are you about to bring? And then, and then I love what the disciples say here. Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. <laughs> Dummies. Oh, yeah, man. We got this, bro. We can do this. We can, we'll suffer, man. We'll suffer. Just, it's all good. Right? They just don't know what they're talking about. And Jesus basically tells them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. In other words, you're, you will suffer, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has what? Prepare those places for the ones he has chosen. He's like, look, God's in charge of the honor. God's in charge of raising you up. God's in charge of promoting you. God's in charge of giving you greater influence. But your responsibility, he's going to show them, is about serving others and loving others and being kind to others and serving God you let God sort it out. You don't worry about high up the food chain you're going to go. And that's a word, I think, for all of us today. Sometimes our, our view of ourself can kind of get in the way of all of this. I just want you to think about sort of three different ways that we can get kind of caught up in our, ourselves. Uh, one way is, is we often get self-absorbed, Right? Self-absorbed. Self-absorbed, this is where you, you, you tend to think you're always right. You, you don't really listen to other people. Uh, you think if you could do it, you know, you could do it better, right? You're the, you're the, you're the perfect, like, couch coach, you know, on all these things that, that you've never actually done in your life. And we just start to see everything through the lens of being self-absorbed. That's one extreme. Another extreme would be this, self-ashamed. And this is where you start to 
kind of, you, you, you just, you, it's not that you think of yourself too highly, you think of yourself too lowly, right? You, you think you're trash, you're no good, you're worthless, you know, I'll never, I'll never rise above where, I, where I'm from, I'll never, I'll never be able to reach my dreams. You think of all the, the, the mixtapes that play in your mind, of all the things people have said to you, no good, junk, trash, fill in the blank, blank, some things I can't say in church, right? All the things that you... You heard growing up that people said about you, that tape that plays in your mind, and you just walk around self-ashamed. And let me just, a word for those of you who walk around self-ashamed. You know, the Bible does have a lot to say about who you are as a follower of Jesus. I went through the New Testament of the Bible years ago and wrote down all the times that it says you are. You are this, you are that as a follower of Jesus. And here's what it says. As a follower of Jesus, literally, you are God's followers. You are God's friends. You are children of light. You are are members of God's family. You are holy and blameless without a single fault. You are God's people. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You are the branches that bear fruit. You are God's field. You're God's building. You are living stones in his temple. You are holy priests. You are a holy nation to show the goodness of God. You are a chosen people. You're God's workers. You're Christ's ambassadors. You're true ministers of God united with Christ. You're a part of his body living by his spirit. You are God's masterpiece. You are the faithful ones meant for better things. You are receiving a kingdom that is yet to come. You are looking forward to a home that is still to come. The new heavens and the new earth where God has promised that you will be heirs of his glory. You are set free from the slavery to sin and you are truly free indeed. This is who the Bible says you are. That's who you are. So you don't have to walk around self-ashamed all of the time because, listen, your identity is now found in Jesus Christ if you're a follower of Jesus, and that's who he's declared that you are. So we don't have to walk around self-absorbed, but we also don't have to walk around self-ashamed. And I want to suggest there's a healthier place than all of this, and it is this, self-surrendered. When you're self-surrendered, you think about God and his goodness, you think about all that Jesus has done in your life, but you just flat think about yourself less. You're more concerned about others. You're more concerned about, you know, Tim Keller calls it the freedom of self-forgetfulness. You're just not obsessed with yourself anymore. You're not worried about yourself anymore. You don't need people to always come up and pump up your ego. Because you know who already filled up your ego? Jesus Christ. You know who already gave you your worth? Jesus Christ. You don't need some other person to tell you you're valuable. You don't need some other person to tell you you matter. Jesus already did that. You can surrender that and you can get focused then on serving others and living for the glory of God. Some of you right now, the number one aim in your life is to be happy. Like real, real talk. I don't wear at church and all that. No, no, I'm gonna, yeah, right. You wanna be happy. And you use language like, that doesn't make me happy anymore. I'm going to stop doing that. doesn't make me happy. I'm going to leave him. doesn't make me happy. I'm going to leave her. doesn't make, it doesn't make me happy. Like, everything's about being happy. And I want to suggest to you, when you make happiness your primary goal, you're going to be very frustrated. But when you make your primary goal in life to be useful to other people by living for the glory of God and serving others, you're going to find a lot more happiness on the back end of that. You'll find a lot more happen. Look at what Paul says. First Corinthians 10 31, Paul says, look, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything. And everything means like everything. Do it all, all of it 
for the glory of God. Cooking for the glory of God. Cheering for the Raiders for the glory of God. Like, like, like hanging out with friends for the glory of God. You know, mowing the lawn for the glory of God. Like, like whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's a perspective shift. It says, look, there's a lot of things I do in my life and you think they're not spiritual. But what if I suggested to you, everything is spiritual. And if you made a perspective shift in your mind and realized, you know, everything I'm doing, I'm not just a chef. I make food for the glory of God and for the good of others. But in my perspective, I also do it as an act of worship. Look, if you raise kids, raise them for the glory of God. If you deliver food or products, if you lead people or manage resources, if you work in the medical field, do it all for the glory of God. If you work in hospitality or entertainment or government or arts, do it for the glory of God. If you sell, sell for the glory of God. If you write, write for the glory of God. If you train others, train them for the glory of God. If you're a first responder, police, fire, medical, do it for the glory of God. If you serve in the military, serve for the glory of God. Because everything good in the heavens and the earth is for his glory. Right? The mountains are for his glory. The trees are for his glory. The water's for his glory. The sky is for his glory. It's all for his glory. That's why the Bible said, the Bible tells us this from the very first sentence, y'all. I'm just slow. The Bible says, in the beginning, God. Life is about God and his glory. But the Judd Bible often reads, in the beginning, me. And when you make life all about you, that's a very frustrating place to live. But when you align your priorities and realize it's all about God, and it's all about surrendering to him and living for his glory and trying to be useful to others. Look, our faith is for the glory of God. Our salvation is for his glory. The church is for his glory. Our love is for his glory. Our laughter and our kindness, our goodness, our worship, our work is for his glory. Our attitude is for his glory. Our perspective is for his glory. Our dreams, our hopes, our families, our money, our stuff, all of it is for his glory. So this week, you want to give your life a greater sense of meaning and purpose. you got to live for something greater than yourself. You face the same tasks you faced last week, but you go into them with the mental shift that says, I do this as an act of worship for the glory of God. Right? So if I'm going to make food, I'm going to make the best food I can for the glory of God. Right? If, I, if I'm going to serve others, if I'm going to laugh, I'm going to laugh heartily because I'm living for the glory of God. Here's another thought if you want to live for something greater in your life than just yourself, and that is to simply focus on serving others. Not only to live for God's glory, but focus on serving others. I, I, I like to come in first. How, how many of you like to come in first? You know what I'm talking about. Like, Lori and I are pretty, we're pretty competitive, and uh, it makes for an interesting marriage. Now, we're competitive in different ways. Like, like, she's competitive with board games. You know, how many of you are like, you just, you know, you're all in. When you play a board game, you lose yourself. Who, 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 who around here knows at the holidays, it's like, don't even start because you'll say things you regret. And, you know, like, like Lori's kind of that way. Metaphorically, I mean, you know, when Lori plays a board game, she'll just bleed you out on the floor, man. She doesn't care. She'll just, you just, you know, like, it's just all about winning at that point. Well, when our kids were little, man, when I play games with our kids, I let our kids win because I'm a loving father. 
But Lori, the sweetest, nicest person you'd ever see in your life would destroy them and loved every minute of it. She's like, they got to get good enough to beat me. I'm like, she's three. Well, then it'll take a decade. No joke. Now, I'm competitive in other ways. I want to get places first. I'm not worried about games because I'm, I'm like, eh, it doesn't matter. But, but time is valuable, y'all. I want to get there first. I'm, I'm sick enough that when I stand in a grocery line, I try, to, I try to scope out as I'm walking up. Which ones, what do we think? I look at the cashiers. Hmm, no. Nah. Mm. You know, you know what I mean? Some of them have a look like you're slow. <laughs> I don't mean slow mentally. I mean like you're just taking your time. I want, I want that cashier that's like, come on, let's go. It's hustling. You know, I want, where's the hustler? And then when I get in line at a grocery store, I start to compare with other people and where they are in line. Cause there's always the option that I should have gotten that line, but I got in this line. So I'm watching you. And as we move up, I'm taking stock. And if I get through the line ahead of that person, it feels like I won something. <laughs> Literally. I'm the guy that walks out of the grocery store privately going, yes. That's a sickness, y'all. Like, who cares? But this is where my mind goes. And then traffic, I'm the same way. When there's construction and everything has to come down to two lanes and you're like, which lane should I be in? And I got this down to a science now. You know, like I've, I've dialed it in, but I'm watching the guy next to me to see who gets through first. If I get through first, man, that is a victory, y'all. Lori would be like, why are you so happy? I'm like, I beat that truck back there. She's like, you are a sick man. And God forbid on a road trip with the family that we have to stop to go to the bathroom. Listen, I already passed all those people and now they're getting ahead of me while you go to the bathroom. We were, I blew past them already, man. I made them eat my dust. And now I got to pass them all over again. What is going on? I had a friend of mine, he told me, he goes, oh, you know what I do? He has like five kids. He's like, he's like, I, I literally, at um, the day before, after dinner, everybody eats dinner, all the kids, no more liquid. <laughs> the whole family gets cut off from drinking. It's like you're fasting in the hospital or something. No more, no, you know, no more liquid, no more food. Nobody gets to eat. And then that night they sleep and they get up early the next morning and hit the road. He's like, nobody has to go to the bathroom. I'm like, that is brilliant or that is sick I'm not sure which one right but I like to get there first I mean I hold the door open for other people at the grocery store or the pharmacy or whatever because it's the right thing to do but inside privately I'm like please don't go to the pharmacy because I just held that door open for you and now you're ahead of me and then I'm gonna have to wait for you in line too anybody feel me sorry I'm telling you how sick I am so, I like to get there first, but you know, Jesus is going to challenge us. It's not about being first anymore. As my, as my follower, it's actually about putting others first. And what he says is, look, in the world, to his disciples, he pulls them together. Because after James and John send their mom to do the dirty work for them and try to get them their position, 
Then the other disciples hear that James and John did this. So they start all fighting together. And you know what it says? They're fighting about who's going to be the greatest in God's kingdom. Isn't that just what the disciples of Jesus should be arguing about? I'm better. I'm going to be better than you. They're fighting about who's going to be the greatest in God's kingdom. And Jesus comes along and he goes, look, that's how they do it in the world. That's how they do it in the culture. In the culture, he says, uh, people love to be served. People lord it over others. But look at what he says, Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 26. But among you, my people, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your what? Servant. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant. He says, and whoever wants to be first, (laughs) hello, among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man, reference to himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, I I, I set the example. I set the model. Even I came not to be served, but to serve others. And so he challenges us to be willing to step out and to serve others. And if we will do it, God can fill us with his goodness and his joy and his power. Because look, when you, when you begin to lift others up, here's what happens. God lifts you up. You start to lift others up and you start to serve others and you get your focus off yourself on others. God will show up and God will move in that and God himself will lift you up. I saw an interview this week of um, uh, an, an individual, a celebrity. I won't tell you this individual's name because it'll distract you, but he was a, a celebrity, a movie star, and he got canceled. He's like neon, he's nuclear. He doesn't even have an agent anymore. Like nobody's talking to him. He's dead to the world. And he was talking about how faith has become a part of his journey. He went to rehab, he did all the things, but even more than that, like, like he's had this whole faith transformation. And one of the things he said was when he got to rehab, he was in this group setting with uh, his like 12 people that were in his like group. And once a week they would do family kind of gathering and everybody could have their family members call in into one big, huge, giant Zoom call. And he said, he goes the first week and all other 11 other people, their families are there. They've all been notified, families, close friends. It's a huge group on Zoom. He goes, I didn't have a single person show up. Not my mom, not my dad, not my friends, not, not even my exes. Nobody showed up. He said, it was embarrassing. I mean, here's this global movie star and not a single person will go, to his gathering on Zoom while he's in rehab. His week two comes around. He goes in and same thing, not a single, he was the only one, not a single person, his mom, his dad. When you make life all about you and you burn bridges to the level he did, eventually you're the only one left. And that's where he had to start from to realize how bad it was how alone he was. And he began to rebuild his life. God began to move in his life. And, and you know, he got in a recovery group. He meets every single day in this recovery group. He started to get help. He, he made the list, like I've made and many of you have made, of all the people that he needs to make amends to. He said it was a long list. He's still working through the list. 
But he made amends with his dad. He, he made, you know, made amends with uh, his mom. He, he started to make amends with friends to the degree that he can. He's doing everything he can to try and rebuild his life. But one of the things that struck me is he said, listen, my life used to be all about me and being the best. And now my life is all about others and serving the needs of others. And he said, sometimes that just means doing the dishes. Sometimes that means encouraging my wife. Sometimes it means getting up with our little baby girl and changing the diaper. Sometimes it means helping other people in the same situation like I'm in. Sometimes it means showing up at my recovery group and being there for others even when I don't necessarily want to be there. He says, my life has become reduced to this. I get up in the morning and I ask myself, what does it look like today to serve others? I just want to be useful. And he said, you know what I can tell you? I'm happy for the first time in my life. I'm canceled, but I'm happy. I have joy. I have purpose. This guy said, do you ever want to act again? He goes, I I don't care. I don't think about acting. He said, I don't have, I don't even have an agent. He said, "I, I just wake up and think, how can I be useful and serve somebody else today? And that's led to more joy and more happiness. You lift others up. God, God will take care of it. God will lift you up. I mean, just think about it here at Central because, because somebody served somebody else. A hopeless person received hope. Because somebody served, a young person learned about the love of Jesus in our kids and student ministry. Because somebody served, a grieving person was comforted after a loss. Because somebody served, food was available to the hungry. Because somebody served, Jesus was proclaimed in prisons and thousands discovered new life. Because somebody served, people were invited to church and came to faith because somebody served. Celebrate Recovery was there to help people get back on their feet because somebody served. Kids learned that they're loved by God and they can make a difference because somebody served. Students found a community where they can literally belong and make wise choices because somebody served. People were greeted with kindness when they walked into church and it brightened their day because somebody served. You could get coffee when you came into church. Hello, priorities. Because somebody served, 24-hour church is there for people, 24 hours a day who are struggling. We're, here, we're there to encourage and walk with them anytime, day or night. Because somebody served, people found community and groups and began to grow in their faith. Because somebody served, Central Academy was able to offer classes to people and help them go deeper in discovering their ministry and their leadership. Because somebody served, poured themselves out. They were filled with the joy that only Jesus can give back. So listen, we all do foolish things, and I'm first among them, that often starts the day out and forgets it's not about me. But that's a path to frustration. That's just foolishness. You want to live a greater life, you got to serve a greater purpose than just yourself. Begin to live for the glory of God. This week, when you get up tomorrow morning, just reframe your thinking, God, I'm living for your glory. Everything I'm doing, I'm doing for your glory. God, these Apple Jacks are for your glory. It's all for you. I'm living for you. It's that simple shift. And then begin to ask, God, how can, how can I be a servant to others? Think about your coworkers, your employers. How can I serve you? Think about your, your, your kids, your spouse. Like, like, ask your spouse, how can I serve you? And then they'll start to choke and go into cardiac arrest. And you can like restart their heart and then go, I'm sorry. You know, I was just like, like trying to be like Jesus, but 
Like, how can I serve you today? That's the path to joy. Live for the glory of God. Focus on serving others. That's why we as a church want to stay focused, not just on our own needs and problems and not just looking inward, but outward to our community, serving the needs of others, helping others. That's where the joy is. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've never crossed the line of faith. I'd love to give you that opportunity to just reach out to God, to ask him to move and work in your life and to do something supernatural in your heart. So would all of you bow your heads and close your eyes. If you'd like to become a follower of Jesus today, you can begin that spiritual journey by repeating a simple prayer after me, just uh, either out loud or in your own heart and mind. Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you in Christ's name. And friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, I want to ask you to just slip your hand in the air just to acknowledge you're going to follow him. Just make eye contact with me. Just to say before God, to say to me, you're going to trust him and reach out to him in your life. God bless you guys. Thank you. Just reach out to him. Thank you guys. Hands going up around the room. Thank you guys. Reach out to him today. Thank you. If you're watching online, just slip your hand in the air. If you're at one of our locations, slip your hand in the air. Just acknowledge you're going to trust him. You're going to follow him in your life today. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for each person reaching out to you. And I pray you'll move and work in their lives in a powerful way as they follow you. Forgive, restore, heal. God, we thank you for all that you do for us. We give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.